Amen. You may be seated this morning. At this time, I'm going to dismiss the kids downstairs to the Gospel Project. I see, see Mr. Ludlow back there. God bless your time this morning. Right. Good morning. We are in uh, Matthew, the book of Matthew, and so I'm going to ask you this morning to again open up to Matthew chapter 5. We have been walking week by week through the Beatitudes the last few weeks, and we're going to read again this morning that entire passage, Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 through 12. So let's read that together, and then we'll pray. Matthew chapter 5, verse 1, it's the word of the Lord. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain. When he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you, and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. It's the word of the Lord, amen? Let's pray together. God, we just pray this morning that your word would again speak to us, adjust us by your truth. You've revealed truth through your scriptures. We're so prone to self-denial. We're so prone, sorry, to self-deception. And you come and you speak truth to us. Open our hearts, change us, draw us closer to you, that we would see you more clearly, God, that we would worship you for who you are. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. So my name is Jeremy Kelly. I'm one of the elders here at Renovation Church. Um, we've spoken the last few weeks, and we've talked about blessed are the poor in spirit, Blessed are those who mourn, and this morning, Matthew chapter 5, verse 5, read it again with me. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Um, what an incredible statement made by Jesus in this passage. The last three Beatitudes, as they're called, have seemingly been, I think, counterintuitive. Blessed, God's favors upon, happy are, secure in the favor of God are those who are poor in spirit, those who recognize, as Mike preached, their uh, bankrupt spirit and need for God. And in conjunction with that, those who mourn and recognize the depth of their own sin, 
recognize where they fall short in their poorness of spirit and mourning for that and their need for God and, and those who not only are struggling and recognizing and mourning over their sin, but those who are experiencing a difficulty in this earth and, and difficulty and tragedy as they mourn, they're blessed. And now we see blessed are the meek. The meek, that's not a word we use a lot today. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Well, we're going to spend some time this morning walking through the word of God and defining that. What does that mean? You know, there's consequences for every worldview. Worldview is really something um, people are talking a lot about these days because we see a shift culturally in our worldview and in those fundamental foundational value system things, those building blocks by which we build our lives and make decisions upon, those things are shifting. But there's consequences for every worldview. One of the most famous is found in philosopher Frederick Nietzsche's Superman. The idea of the Superman, this concept that Nietzsche had, uh, without totally unpacking it, not even knowing that I could, just a general overview of what he was talking about is in Nietzsche's philosophical view of the Superman, there was an idea that, that as human beings were evolving, um, there was another step to take. There was the idea that there would, there would be further evolution to the Superman, this more perfect human being, this, this ideal man. And what does that look like? And Nietzsche actually spent some time attempting to define it. And, and the way that he did that is he looked at certain figures who he respected, who he thought behaved mostly like supermen, and, and began to list some of those attributes of, of what the superman would be. One of the attributes that I think is uh, crucial or essential to this philosophy that ended up becoming the driving force behind many of uh, Nazi Germany's ideas of ridding themselves of, of the unfit, and we saw the horror of concentration camps and the horror of, of that era in World War II, one of the deadliest uh, moments in, in the history of the world. This concept that the Superman would be a man who, who created his own values, created his own values. There was an idea of selfishness that Nietzsche thought was appealing. And the old systems, uh, the old idea of, of values, in particular, the, in his mind, collapse of Christianity and this real idea of meekness that would have hindered the evolution into the Superman, was to do away with that and in the next level of superhuman, the next Superman would really be a person who selfishly created his own values. throwing away the collapsing old mythos, the old ideas or values that had been so essential in the world of Christianity. That was Nietzsche's idea. Uh, we, we saw, I think, some consequences of that worldview. And here's Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, speaking as his disciples have drawn near. And he says this, blessed are the meek, 
the meek. This character trait of meekness is going to be the characteristic of those who inherit the earth. He's no doubt quoting Psalm 37. Take a look at Psalm 37 in the Bible. If you have your Bible with you, open it up. And let's start to unpack or look at what is he talking about? Blessed are the meek. Who is this meek person? What is this worldview? What is this idea of meekness that makes up the character of someone who's going to inherit the earth? Starting in verse 5. Psalm 37, verse 5. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in Him. He will act. He will bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for Him. Fret not over the one who prospers in His way, over the man who carries out evil devices. Refrain from anger and forsake wrath. Fret not yourself. It tends only to evil. For evildoers, verse 9, for evildoers shall be cut off, but those who wait for the Lord shall inherit the land. In just a little while, the wicked will be no more. Though you look carefully at his place, he will not be there. But the meek, verse 11, shall inherit the land and delight themselves in abundant peace. Jesus no doubt quoting verse 11, says the meek shall inherit the earth. Very similar language, very similar words to the meek shall inherit the land in Psalm 37. And as we take a look at who is this meek person? This seems so counterintuitive. Who is this meek person that would inherit the land or inherit the earth? What does that even mean? We take a look at Psalm 37 and what, a, what an incredible description. In verse 9 we see, that uh, those who wait for the Lord will inherit the land. And in verse 11, we see that the meek, as he references, the meek shall inherit the land. Those who wait for the Lord shall inherit the land. Those who are meek shall inherit the land. What an interesting uh, uh, revelation for us as we take a look at who this human being is. Someone who waits upon the Lord. The meek person really is characterized as someone who, who is trusting God. There's a security inside the, the soul or the human being who, who trusts in something outside of himself. Not like this idea of evolving into the Superman and creating your own set of values, but you're not finding it inside yourself, but the meek person in the worldview that we see as Jesus describes those who will inherit the land is someone who, who is not depending on themselves. This is someone who is already poor in spirit and recognizes the bankruptness of themselves. This is already someone who's mourning over their own brokenness and inadequacy and understanding their need for God. And now we see this meek person is, is continuing in that track as there's someone who's poor in spirit, mourning their own sin, but, but trusting in God and waiting upon the Lord. Amen? This is who Jesus is describing. I'm not relying on myself. I'm mourning over my bankruptness. But I understand something. When I'm weak, he's strong. I understand something. In the midst of my failure and inability to muster up the power within myself to accomplish whatever it is God has called me to do, I can wait on the Lord and I can trust him. Amen? Those who wait on the Lord. What does that look like? 
patience. Someone who trusts God is patient. They're trusting that He will act on their behalf. They're trusting that God is in control, and I don't need to scramble and in my own flesh try to to pull it off. The meek person really represents trust in a God who's sovereign, who's bigger than them, and who they recognize even in the moments when they don't understand, God understands. And I can wait on Him, and I can trust Him. There's a patience that's produced in the life of that person. What a neat picture. Those who wait upon the Lord will inherit the earth. The meek will inherit the earth. We trust Him. Look at verse 5 in Psalm 37. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in Him. He will act. See, the meek person, this, this person uh, has the ability to have that character, character trait produced in their heart. This is really not an intellectual thing. It's a, it's a state of heart. It's, 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 a, it's a condition of the heart, this meekness. This is a person who intellectually is, is trusting in the Lord and committing their way to the Lord. Because why? He'll act. There's really this idea in the language as it's interpreted. It, it's a rolling on to God. It's, it's really a casting your anxieties, your cares, your pressures, your health, your job, your future, everything. You are casting it. You're rolling it on to Him. That's what God's calling us to. Commit your way to the, to the Lord. Trust in Him. He will act. He will bring forth your righteousness as a light. We see that promise fulfilled in Jesus. Amen? Trust in the Lord. I love that idea of rolling your life onto Him. Casting casting your your everything onto Him. There's this idea of, of, um, of full life reliance on God and trust in Him. It's not like putting uh, an offering up on the altar. It's like yourself crawling up onto the altar and laying there. There's really a full life reliance and casting and rolling your cares upon Him depicted in this passage. Commit your way to the Lord. So the meek person, we're seeing, we're seeing the ability to have this character trait comes from a commitment. My way is the Lord's way. I'm not the, the total opposite worldview that Nietzsche held. I am not pursuing in my selfishness my own values to attain something within myself. I'm stepping outside of myself and recognizing my poorness of spirit And I am casting my life, I am committing my way to the Lord in what He says. Amen? What a different worldview. The ability to value something uh, that's bigger and more secure than you are, folks, will produce in you a character of heart that is meek, not weak. Meek, there's actually a strength to it. It's the opposite of weakness. It's internal fortitude and strength because you're trusting in something bigger than yourselves. I was thinking about this difference in trusting in yourself or trusting in something bigger than yourself. I, 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 uh, I'm a podcaster. Anybody else podcast? You listen to podcasts. <clears throat> it's kind of a new, I don't know how new it is, new to me. 
<clears throat> I'm definitely not hip. I, I maybe I'm late to the game. One of, uh, one of my favorite guys uh, is a guy named Jocko Willink. He was a military guy. Um, wrote a book called Extreme Ownership. Really, none of this matters to the sermon at all. But I was, I was listening to his podcast, and he had a guy on the podcast named Dakota Meyer, who was a Medal of Honor winner, 2008, 2009. And uh, what an incredible story. Dakota was 21 years old. He was a Marine, and he was in Afghanistan. Found himself caught in one of the deadliest battles in the history of that war. Dakota uh, was a part of a team of four Americans that were supposed to be going into villages and meeting with elders and trying to win hearts and minds. And they were also training the Afghan army. So he had spent months working with Afghani soldiers. They called them Askars. And he had built relationships with them. He was the type of Marine that um, didn't just kind of sit back in the American side of the base. If he said if he was going to lead these Afghani men, he was going to be with them, and they became his brothers. He ate with them, ate at least twice a day. He would eat, he would eat with them, spent time with them, grew to love them, and, and find them to be remarkable men. And uh, they were heading into a village, and as they headed into the village, uh, some decisions were made on the leadership front that ended up actually uh, being wrong, and there was a lot of things that went wrong. Everything went wrong in this particular day. It's kind of a perfect storm of things going wrong. Um, but for some reason, they pulled Dakota back and left him with the armored trucks, and they sent his team of four Americans without him. The team that went without him were not infantry guys. They weren't the fighters. They were the guys going to meet with the elders. So these four Americans, along with a bunch of Afghani stol- soldiers, walked through a valley. As they walked through the valley to go to meet with the elders of this particular village. Uh, Dakota recounts he's standing back by the trucks, not wanting to be back by the trucks, recognizing that things aren't right. He begins to see the lights go out in the village and everybody leave. He's watching women, children, goats, cow, everything they have of value, they're taking out. And of course, he immediately knows this is bad. His men are ambushed. His men are ambushed, totally pinned down. Uh, They are on the low ground. All the Taliban are on the high ground, firing down onto his men, and they begin to call for help. Now, Dakota had told his men, because he had a, the way that this mission had been planned, he, had, he, he knew it wasn't great. He had told his guys, if anything goes wrong, I'm coming to get you. I will come to get you. And, and you know, as he's sitting there being interviewed by a, a Navy SEAL commander who's been through a lot of battles himself and Jocko Willink, there was this affinity they had about a value system that was driven into them. Obviously, I'm not talking about biblical value systems necessarily, but there was a value system that was driven into them that when they were in war, they were fighting for each other. When we're out there, I'm going to, do, I'm going to care more about your life as my brother than I'm going to care about my own. And I'm going to count on the fact that you as my brother care more about my life than you do your own. This is something we can bank on. It was a value system that went beyond the massive internal calls for self-preservation in the midst of of battle. I have committed to you that I'm going to care about your life more than mine and know that you're going to care about my life more than yours. We're going to fight for each other. This was a value system that they held. And so in the midst of an ambush, in the midst of a battle, his men are up there, his men who he had promised to get were, were there, and Dakota made a decision. 
he called to the talk to the to the uh, commanders back at the base. I need permission to go in, and they said no. He waited a couple minutes. He said, "I need permission to go in," and they said no. He looked at his buddy who drove, and he said, "We're going." And his buddy said, "We're going." And he hopped in the front seat of the Humvee. Dakota hopped up into the turret on the 50 cal, and they drove into a valley that was too small for their truck to be in, which is why it was back there, and they hammered through hell. Um, When Jocko Willink asked him, did you think you were going to die? He said, no. I knew I was going to die. I knew it. It was just a matter of time. Bullets flying by him, hit him in the elbow, hitting the truck. Uh, As you can imagine, with men up in the valleys firing down the Humvee with a 50 cal turret, it has become a target, right? So as they're driving through, they're just taking fire. And he said, it was, in my mind, it was just a matter of time before I caught one in the face. Um, and And I just listened to this interview, and I'm thinking to myself, what? Everything inside of him must have been screaming, stay back where it's safe. But there was a value system that went beyond his own selfishness that produced a courage. Meekness isn't weakness at all. It's relying and trusting on God for your security. It's trusting in something bigger than yourself. If you ever read the rest of Dakota's story, he goes in, fights his way in, and he comes across his men, his Afghani men, brothers, wounded, dying, He carries them out, throws them on the truck, drives out to safety, drops them off, goes back in. Gets even further into the valley trying to get to his men, finds more Afghani soldiers, wounded and dying, loads them on the truck, drives back out, drives back in. He does this five times. He gets all the way in on the fifth time. His buddies had been calling for help. And he jumps out of the Humvee, runs across an open field while his friend was screaming at him to stop. Has to take a life with his bare hands. That description is heart-wrenching. Finally jumps across a carved-out area in the ground and falls on top of his four brothers who have already died. He lost his entire team. They did the Medal of Honor for him. I watched it after listening to this interview. And he says as President Obama put the Medal of Honor around his neck, in his mind it was a symbol of failure. He felt as though he had failed because he promised his guys he would get them. And they all died. I saw a picture in this interview of I guess what I see as described throughout the scriptures is meekness. Just a strong, strong guy who cared about a bunch of stuff more than he cared about himself and was secure in his principles and lived it out in a quiet, humble, strong way and did extraordinary things. So don't be deceived when you hear, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth, and think that this is some anti-masculine, weak 
wimpy thing. It's not. There's a character and a strength and a security that's built from not just, I mean, I'm giving an example of trusting in maybe some, some military principle. Trusting in the, in the God of the universe, how much more powerful is that? In the security of character that comes from understanding that the sovereign God who loves you and died for you and has redeemed you is in control of your life. Knowing that, do you need to defend yourself? Knowing that, do you need to scramble and fight and be defensive and speak up on your own behalf? Or can you quietly, in the midst of difficulty and, and criticism and, and things happening to you, wait upon the Lord, trust that He will act, and know that in your meekness, you have a God who, who is in control. Amen? Produces a character that is so needed today. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. And, and I think the call to us, as I'm preaching to myself as much as anyone in this room, the call to us today as believers in the church is, where are the meek? Where are the meek? Where are people that look like this? Are we constantly defending ourselves? Are we constantly fighting and battling and scraping for our own dignity and our own self-preservation? Or do we quietly, in the midst of difficulty and criticism, trust and wait upon the Lord? Because he'll act. So what do we see from Psalm 37? We see this person's committed their way to the Lord. They trust in God. He will vindicate them. Look as we keep reading. He'll bring forth your righteousness and your justice as the noonday. Listen to, look at verse 7. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Fret not over those, I'm sorry, over the one who prospers in his way, over the man who carries out evil. How often do we look to others and fret and get angry because they're being prospered in their evil and, and yet we have, we have reserved and kept ourselves as, as the psalmist says in Psalm 73, have I kept myself pure and vain as I look to the evil and see them prosper? No, fret not. Don't be angry. God's in control. Refrain from anger. Forsake wrath. Fret not yourself. It tends only to evil. Those who wait upon the Lord, just wait upon the Lord, will inherit the earth. Verse 11, but the meek shall inherit the land. Delight themselves in abundant peace. So we see a little bit of a picture, this portrait of the meek person in Psalm 37. Committed their way to the Lord, they trust the Lord, know he'll vindicate them. Not prone to being fretful or angry as others prosper. Don't look at other people and say, why do they get that and why don't I? Why is, why is their way so much better? Why do they have more money than I do? Why does their marriage seem like it's great and mine's struggling? Why do their kids seem amazing and every time I get home I just want to kill them, right? As we compare ourselves to each other, fret not. Wait upon the Lord. Trust in the Lord. Cast your anxiety. Roll your anxiety and your cares. Literally roll them onto him. Quiet and wait before the Lord, verse 7. Don't fret. Don't get angry, verse 8. Trust in God. Wait. This isn't trusting in yourself and your own values and your own capability. 
trusting in God, fully relying on him. We see this in, in Moses, in Numbers chapter 12, verses 1 through 4. We see that, that the Bible describes Moses as the meekest man on earth. And what happens in this, in this passage, we see, we see that Aaron and, and uh, well, why don't we turn there quickly, Numbers chapter 12. Verses 1 through 4, we'll read quickly. Miriam and Aaron spoke against Moses because of the Cushite woman whom he had married. For he had married a Cushite woman. And they said, has the Lord indeed spoken only through Moses? Has he not spoken through us also? And the Lord heard it. Now the man Moses was very meek. More than all the people who were on the face of the earth. And suddenly the Lord said to Moses and Aaron and Miriam, Come out, you three, to the tent of meeting. And the three of them came out. And the Lord came down in a pillar of cloud and stood at the entrance of the tent and called Aaron and Miriam, and they both came forward. And he said, Hear my words. If there is a prophet among you, I, the Lord, make myself known to him in a vision. He goes on to defend Moses and to vindicate him and to rebuke Aaron and Miriam. What do we see here? Moses, meeker than everybody else in the land, in the midst of criticism, is a leader. He stays quiet. He listens. And he allows the Lord to speak on his behalf. What a great example in leadership. How often does that happen? Man, are we quick to defend ourselves? Are we quick and prone to defensiveness? But we see the, the picture of, of character in the life of someone who's meek, who in the midst of, of leadership, Moses called to lead the entire nation of Israel out of Egypt, and his own leaders are bickering and taking a shot at him. And, and he stays calm, he stays quiet, he doesn't defend himself, and he allows the Lord to stand up and vindicate him. I've been in a lot of leadership situations over my career either watching it and, and following or, or, or being a part of it. And I've gotten to a place where when you observe groups of people when they get together, you kind of start to see leaders emerge. And if you're ever in a leadership position or, or putting someone in a leader, leadership position, it's interesting to watch how people handle it. It really quickly, um, the idea of someone's meekness begins to rise to the top when they're given some authority. Is that not true? And you see folks that they can't handle it, right? As soon as they're given authority, it's like, whoa, what just happened to that human being? They just can't handle this. They're just, they can't wait to let people know who's in charge. If you ever hear someone in a situation saying, I'm the leader, they're probably not. Generally, people who are actually leading don't have to say it. If people are actually following you, you don't have to tell them that you're their leader. I always thought it was funny, one of John Maxwell's old quotes, is some people think they're a leader, but if no one's following you, you're just going for a walk. <laughs> and you see this character of a meek person really is, is a perfect leader. Someone who doesn't need to defend themselves, trusting in the Lord to vindicate them. And leads with humility and meekness, recognizing their poorness of spirit, recognizing their insufficiencies, 
willing to stay quiet, wait upon the Lord, listen to other folks and what they have to say. But leadership and meekness, meekness is not devoid of passion. It's not devoid of speaking. It's just when you speak, there's a certain character to it. We'll see that in James in a moment. But Moses was a meek man, yet he was in charge. He didn't need to defend himself or yell to everybody, I'm in charge. He didn't have to say it because everyone knew it. And in the moment that they questioned him and criticized them, him, he absorbed the criticism. He absorbed it. And he let God defend him. And God vindicate him. A little interesting picture is, is the scriptures paint the portrait of this meek person who inherits the earth. We see a great example in Moses. He committed his cause to God. He didn't say a word. He waited on the Lord. It's difficult. It's difficult to take criticism and not speak up. Boy, I've lost my temper. When criticized. I've had meetings up in that room. And after the meeting in that room, I had to ask myself, did I lose my temper because someone was questioning leadership? Or did I lose my temper because I was defending the glory of God? Because that should be the only time that I really lose it. Not lose it, but express what I need to express in a way that may sound frustrated. And that's a fine line. Lead with meekness. The meek shall inherit the earth. Absorbing criticism and letting God defend. Being able to take that kind of critique. What a great character attribute. Boy, I love following someone like that, don't you? I always found that there's a big difference between someone who knows a lot and someone who thinks they know a lot, right? And most of the time, the person who knows a lot is the quietest. You sit in that room, and I, 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 I've learned to find the person. Everybody's shouting about what they think, and it's usually the dude sitting there quiet, and I'm thinking, I wonder what that guy thinks. He's probably listening and waiting has a lot to say. I had a pastor like that as a young man. Sit in meetings. And he was the guy everybody wanted to hear from. Really. But he was the quietest. And eventually he talked. And when he talked, it mattered. And people listened. Meekness refrains from revenge. Meekness refrains from defensiveness. It's the power to absorb adversity and criticism without lashing back. And we see that example in Moses. Take a look at James 1. I want to further kind of try to paint this picture of a meek person for you and me as we look at the scriptures. James chapter 1, verses 19 through 21. Know this, my beloved. Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, 
For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. A person who's not meek doesn't have the ability to hear, absorb, and adjust themselves to the word of God. James, James commands, he, he, he uh, appeals to you and to me to, with all meekness, receive the implanted word of God. And in doing that, be, be someone who's slow to speak, who's quick to hear, slow to anger, putting away filthiness and wickedness, but receiving the word of God with meekness. Man, it's hard to hear the word of God if you're always talking. It's hard to hear the word of God if you're always angry and defending yourselves when someone's telling you that you need to make an adjustment. It's hard to hear the word of God if you're not recognizing your own limitations, but you're just speaking about what you think should happen. And he's saying, listen, stop talking. Listen. Be quick to hear. Let someone speak the word of God into your life or read the word of God and and with meekness, with humility, with with a recognition of your poorness of spirit and and in the midst of mourning over your sin, be a meek person who, who receives the implanted word of God so that it can adjust you and produce that character in your life. Amen? Man, it's, it's, it's interesting, and I don't know, I've been at different levels of this throughout my life. I've, I've certainly seen it as, as, as um, in, in ministry to speak, try to speak the word of God to someone, and sometimes people are just an absolute sponge, and, and usually it's in moments when they're desperate and in need of help, and they're more open and available to hear the word of God. You get quieter when you've run out of yourself and you've got nothing left and you're just desperate. And then the word of God, when it's spoken to you, you allow it to adjust you. But when we're always coming thinking we know everything, it's hard to listen. I have needed men and women, my wife, my brother, my parents, Mike, other, other men in my life, I've needed to be spoken the word of God to make an adjustment in my life, and I've needed to hear it. And it has saved me time and time again. Be meek. Put yourself in a place consistently where you're listening and allowing others to speak the word of God into your life. Let me tell you something. Because you and I are sinful, often when the word of God is spoken to you, it hurts. And your initial reaction may be defensive, fretting, angry, and I'm going to stand up and I'm going to defend myself. Who are you to say that to me? I remember when I was a teenager, I had really walked away in many ways from, from my faith. I was exploring being a teenager, but in a way that wasn't right. I had come to Christ. God had impacted my life. I had made commitments 
God was working in me. And the lure and the draw of, of, of the world was strong. And I, I remember I had a youth pastor. Man, did he come after me. He came after me like nobody had come after me. <laughs> Comes after people. And that dude was on the phone. He was calling. He was after me. And, and I was probably <clears throat> 16 years old. And I didn't show up to youth group. And I was ditching out. And I had gone out with my friends. And I was out at a party out in the middle of the woods. And, and there was uh, two or three bomb fires and kegs. And, and I was engaging and partaking in that kind of life. And I'm standing there. And I got a big red uh, cup in my hand. And I felt an arm around my neck. And I thought it was one of my buddies. And I was like, hey, what's up? And I heard his voice. What are you doing here? To which I said, what are you doing here? <laughs> he said, me and one of the other youth group guys were in the car. Why don't you come with us? No. Got angry. Get out of here. I can hang with my friends. I just want to be with my friends. Stop telling me what to do. Who do you think you are? I was ticked. I laid into him like I hadn't laid into an adult before in my life. And he humbly just walked away, got in the car, and drove away. Showed up to youth group the next week. And I had actually sat with my Bible and laid my case out for why he was wrong. Somehow. (laughs) But I was ready to go, even at 16, go lawyer the heck out of him, you know? And I walked into his office. And I put my Bible down in my notebook where I had everything written down where I was going to show him why he needed to leave me alone. And he stood, stood on, sat on the other side of his desk with tears coming down his eyes. He said, if you're a friend of the world, you're an enemy of God. And begin to describe to me what he saw God had in store for me. I didn't say a word. I couldn't speak. All my defenses fell away. God got a hold of my heart again through the willingness of a man to speak truth into my life when I was about to blow it. We need to be meek and we need to listen. We see in James a person who recognizes their own limitations recognizes their own knowledge is limited and they're eager to listen and they're slow to get angry and they receive the word of God with meekness. Let's be those people, amen, in each other's lives. Keep painting this picture. Really a meek person, as we see in James, is teachable. It's teachable. They're not absent passion. They're not absent conviction. We see Jesus as a strong figure who when he sees those who are supposed to be religious uh, ripping people off and using the name of God to take their money, he flips tables over and he passionately rebukes them. We see strength and we see passion, we see conviction. That is not the antithesis of meekness. That is trusting in God and, and, and being angry over the right thing. When it says slow to anger, listen, it doesn't say anger's wrong. It says, stop for a minute and think about it. What are you angry about? Are you angry over your own selfishness being crossed with the word of God? Or are you angry because someone is, is, 
is trashing the glory of God. And maybe you need to be angry and stand up with conviction. But be slow to anger doesn't mean don't ever be angry. But the meek person is slow to anger. They're teachable. I want to quickly just go, and I'm going to close, to a couple more passages. Look at in James 3. James 3, verse 13 through 17. We see another example of this, and I think it's just important to point out as we continue to to paint this picture. James 3, verse 13. Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts... Do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but it is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. What a beautiful picture. James talks about the meekness of wisdom. And he, re- and he relates meekness and wisdom together. And, and, and painting the picture of the meek person who's wise and understanding among you. Let his good conduct show his works in the meekness of wisdom. The opposite of that. There's two people here. There's the meek, wise person. And then the other person is, is someone who's jealous. Selfish ambition in their hearts. They boast And they talk about false truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above. That's demonic and unspiritual. It's fleshly. For where jealous and selfish ambition exists, there's disorder. Where people are pursuing their own self-interest. Where people are pursuing, as the Superman would, their their own set of values. And we see that pervasive in our culture today. The greatest value is to pursue your truth. The greatest value is to pursue whatever is in you. You just be who you are. You just pursue your own value system. You just be that Superman because everything in you, if it comes from you, is perfect. And we have a bunch of radically independent people all pursuing their own value systems at the same time. Yet even when they're in conflict with each other, no one can speak into anyone else's life and say, You're wrong. How dare you tell me my truth is wrong? It's my truth. In this postmodern, pervasive world, it's headed for absolute disaster. It's going to eat itself. And here we see Jesus say, blessed are the meek that have a value system that's not within yourself. It's trusting in God, casting your life upon him, and living a life that he says is wise. And what does that person look like? Pure, gentle, reasonable. We could use some reasonableness, could we not, with each other today? Open to reason. That's the wise, meek person. This is a disposition of a heart that comes from someone who trusts in God. Boy, we could use some of this in our conversations on social media with each other. Wisdom, reasonableness, peacefulness, quietly waiting and listening. Meekness is a servant to the truth. 
God's word. Finally, sorry, I've gone late. Galatians 6, 1 through 2. Brothers, if anyone is caught in transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of meekness and gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you be tempted. Brothers and sisters, here's one more attribute of weakness. Meekness, yes, it is slow to speak, but it also decides that it must speak. Meekness is slow to speak, but it decides that it must speak. And we see in Galatians, when your brother or your sister is caught in transgression, you need to make a decision to have that tough conversation. But listen to how the meek person speaks. Listen to how the meek person speaks. When they decide to speak, they reach out in a way that they're keeping watch on their selves lest they be tempted. They're reaching out to the brother in transgression. They must speak, but when they speak, they speak with a recognition of their own weakness, their own ability to fall into sin. When you speak to your brother who's in transgression, you speak in such a way that you're taking the log out of your own eye and recognizing in grace and in humility that I could be in the same place you are, but for the grace of God, let me help lift you up and and not point at you, but point with you to truth, recognizing that I struggle as well. Do you see how the meek person speaks? Speak with grace and truth, recognizing their own possibility as they're keeping watch on, their, on themselves that they could fall into temptation as well. They're never looking at a brother who's caught in transgression and saying, oh my goodness, look at that guy. Look at what he did. What they're doing is they're going to a brother, recognizing their own weakness, keeping watch on themselves and speaking into his life about the truth of God's word and grace, recognizing that they struggle as well and they very easily could fall into the same temptation. What a different way to speak into the life of someone who's struggling with sin. I gotta close. There's so much more to talk about. But listen, this meek person trusts in God, commits their way to him, rolls their anxieties upon him, their relationships, their jobs, their health, everything. They wait patiently for the Lord. They trust in his timing, his power, and his grace to work things out. Because of this uh, pervasive disposition of their heart, this person that trusts in the Lord, here's some attributes that we see from the word of God. They, They are not quick to anger. We see with Moses. They give wrath in our cause to God, and they let him vindicate if he chooses. We see in James, the meek person is quiet with a quiet confidence. They're slow to speak. They're quick to listen. They're reasonable. They're open to correction. They love to learn. They count the blow of a friend as something that's precious. When most speak, it is from a deep conviction of their own fallibility, and they depend on the grace of God. The meek shall inherit the earth. Amen? shall inherit the earth. All of these promises are wrapped up in Christ who has given us everything. The meek who recognize their need for God and receive Jesus as their savior as we're going to come to the Lord's table, they inherit everything. We get to be with him for eternity. Amen? Let's pray. God, we just thank you for who you are and who you teach us to be. We trust you. We commit our way to you. We humbly pray and ask you to 